Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Level Up Cleveland. And this week, we have with us Mr. Rich Spina. Hello. Rich, <laughs> Mr. Rich Spina is lead singer, songwriter, he's a musical director, he's a road manager, keyboardist, record producer. Now, he's not maybe all these right now at the same time, but he has been these things throughout his whole career, yeah. different things, worked with different bands, written with songs with other bands, done all kinds of stuff. Um, originally in the seventies, he was in a band called love affair and yes. they actually had a hit song called mama says yes, yes. at the time. Um, thanks for coming, rich. Uh, thanks for having me. This is fun. I've uh, been looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Been looking forward to having you on. Uh, actually, Rich, you were like one of the guys when we first started this podcast that we consistently talked about getting rich being on this show. So oh. for us, this is actually a pretty big deal. Um, so right now. What's going on with you? I mean, like, uh, we could, we're, I'd like to get back into your career and go through things like kind of chronologically. But like, right, well, how are things going for you? Oh, things are going great. You know, um, I was off for what was that? I stepped off a plane on May eighth in two thousand and, I mean, March eighth in two thousand and twenty, and I didn't get back on a plane till May the following year in two thousand twenty one. But since then, we've been busy. You know, I've been my current thing is is on. Keyboardist, produ production coordinator, and for uh, Herman Sherman, starring Peter Noon, and uh, we're back. We're not back to our the schedule that we once had, but uh, I think we're doing 100 shows this year. Wow! And yeah, the the year of the pandemic, we would have done 145 or whatever, you know. But uh, wow. so I've been doing that. I mean, I've been trying to do more stuff at home. Um, once our schedule kicked in, I mean, that was the one thing about the pandemic was I got, I started getting back involved in a lot of creative things. And, uh, I mean, it was kind of funny the first two months that everything shut down, I was just mad, but then I started getting other things done. And then I started, uh, getting involved in more creative stuff. I rebuilt my studio, which I'm, you know, waiting to do another album. I've got a few songs already done, but I looking for the time to finish it now. A solo album? Yeah. Yes. So you, you have two solo albums currently, right? Yes. Okay. So first, I'd like to get back to the beginning, kind of. Yeah. Because that's really that's really worth, you know. Yeah. So where are you from originally? I'm from Cleveland. I was born in Cleveland. I basically grew up in Brook Park, and I'm back living in Brook Park now, too. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And, uh, and what I felt... The luckiest thing, the thing I feel most blessed about is I never had to leave Cleveland to have my career. Once Love Affair, we had our record deals, and I, I, I had uh, made enough connections during that time period, whereas I was able to move on to other things without having to leave here because I really didn't have a desire. You know, I don't like California. I count the minutes till I'm out of it, <laughs> though I do love I, – I do did like love, love New York City. I just – I like Cleveland. I love our four seasons. I, I love – all, all of our, I love I love the fact that it's a big city without all the big city problems. You know, rush hour here is just just slowed down ten minutes. Yeah, right. You Compared know. to some places, yeah. people think this yeah. is bad. Go yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, and I used to moan about that, but you know, and like what I always joked around about was if I if if I was uh, if I had to live in California, I'd have been Michael Douglas and falling down. One day I would have just gotten out of my car. And just <laughs> the bat. <Yeah. laughs> That's good. Well, I mean, so, yeah, you're right about that, because when you really think about it, there's not a lot of people who can really hone in a, a musical career 
and not have to leave this city at some point in their in their career to kind of do so and you you've managed to do that because literally that is your that is your job i mean music is your job yes right? and, and again you could have to go wherever it takes you and i was just lucky that i was able to still stay centered out of here i could go someplace if i had to do business and come right back and stuff and I mean, and I'm one of the still fools that still love snow, too. I mean, I love all four seasons. Do you go out and, like, do, like, snow sport type events? Do you ever do stuff like that also? Do you enjoy snow that way? No, I would if I had time to, but yeah. I don't really have time to. I just enjoy it. Mean, of course, nobody likes winter in the end of January, beginning of February. But, you know, I can't see having Christmas without a winter. I mean, I remember when Love Affair was touring, sometimes we were down... In Florida, like getting home right before Christmas Day, and we just didn't even feel like it was Christmas, and it was almost comical seeing like Christmas stuff out when it's like all warm weather and stuff. Yeah, I mean like, that was my first hit on that, you know. Well, yeah, you like seeing those commercials where they show the palm tree with the lights in it because you know that's supposed to be the Christmas tree yeah, type yeah, thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, so you were born in Cleveland, Lindenbrook Park. Yeah. Um, at what point did you start getting involved in music, and how, and why, and all that? As, as long as I can remember. That, I, I, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I also was, was acting when I was really young. And, uh, you know, for me, I saw the Ed Sullivan show when the Beatles were first on. And four days later, I saw Elvis Presley's movie, I Gotta Follow That Dream. And I knew from that on I was going to be in music one way or another. Which one know? more, Beatles or Elvis? Oh, be Beatles. But, yeah. I mean, I loved it both. <laughs> and I, was, I wasn't one that got caught up in the fact of, you know, I just had like one or the other in fact that one of the best things that ever happened to me was in junior high i already knew i wanted to be in music i'd already think i'd written my first song i wrote it for an english project and uh i'm watching i'm sitting and i'm in my like what was it my science class and i'm watching these guys arguing about the beatles and the stones and you know yeah right this guy's saying no the beatles suck it's, it's <laughs> i love the stones i want and i'm listening to them and they're both really mean it and i'm going i love them both you know and i'm yeah. like going wow if somebody actually can think the beatles suck there's gonna be <laughs> there's gonna be quite a few people that don't like me yeah, so right. i'll just i'll just worry about the people that like me <laughs> do you find do you find it weird i you know i this is just my own thing but do you find it weird that the beatles were like the first ones to really take that music to that to that plateau but they were also like one of the best ones still today like that ever did it Oh is yeah, it, does that seem weird to you too? Because like to me, that's always been like, how is the first one? Like, it just seems like everything fell together all at once. They they were like, what did didn't Mick wasn't it Mick Jagger that referred to them as a four headed monster? Yeah. In other words, everything about them was great, and they and they even knew instinctively what they had to do. To make themselves great by, you know, like with the last step being Ringo and stuff, who was like the human metronome. And I don't think I know a drummer that uh, at, at, at that age that could have played every style that the Beatles were right. experimenting with. I mean, you know, they just... Yeah, they went through a lot of different different phases of their, of their yeah, yeah. existence. And, and they were... I, I mean... Look at you have two incredible singers and two incredible songwriters that were incredible writing together or writing separately. When does that happen in time? That's, that, that, that's why I think the Beatles was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. It's just so weird that like one of the very first ones was still one of the very best ones, and, yeah. and no one's really topped them since. No, no. And, 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 and then when you learn 
more effective as I understand it better when I'm older and I look back, their work, work ethic, even after they were big, they never lost that blue collar. Well, even after they broke up. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, <laughs> they just kept I mean. going. Well, look at McCarty now. He still has that blue collar approach. Yeah. The guy doesn't have to go on tour at all. I no. think he just does. It's what he does. He gets up and he goes to work. You know, that yeah, kind he, of thing. he still plays with other musicians still yeah. and does things like that. Now, the, the 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 common question: Lennon or McCartney? Is that like which one? Did you have a favorite or? Do you, are, because because let me just ask you. This, I'll say it this way: because you, you were one of the best singers probably ever to come out of this city. One of the best. Well, you really are. And and those two guys are synonymous for their vocals, right? So. Like you, you seem to people would seem to either be drawn more to one or there because they're very different, right? I mean, they're very different type of singers. It's hard. I I love both of them for what they gave. You know, like Lennon could make so much the way he sang a phrase could put so much emphasis on a can make a simple sentence sound important. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. And McCartney always had that little choir boyish voice, but he also could sit there and rock. I loved them both, and I just really tried to feed off of both of them. I didn't want to get caught up in in one or the other. The thing that amazed me most is when the two of them sang together, they became a third voice. Yeah, I mean, you know, right. when they did a unison and then split off, and how it sounded so natural to have both those singers in a band where that never usually was the case. Like you usually want to hear one singer with the band. That's what more amazes me is that as soon as the Beatles came out, I never questioned the fact of, wow, I'm hearing two entirely different vocals singing a song. It was just the Beatles. Yeah. Right. Right. And, right. And, right. And, and, and so I don't know, maybe I loved them because I thought the two of them were one voice and I was just loving every part of it. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And so I don't, I don't know. It, I never got caught up in the Lennon or the McCartney. I just loved them. I just thought they were all genius. So you never really, it seems like you were never really in generally just into like the competitive thing with music. You just enjoyed all these bands and was like, there's no reason to say that there's, they ha why does one have to always be better and yeah, all that Yeah, yeah, well, because right? I'm one of these odd guys, you know. At the same time, I loved my Led Zeppelin. I also loved the Partridge family and loved <laughs> and, and loved, loved the Osmond music, brothers. Music, I loved, yeah. you know, like... To me, they are what they, what they are. You know what I mean. In other words, I loved my parents' music. I guess it's just maybe my deep love for music. I just loved everything on the different levels. What took me a while was country. Country was probably the slowest thing for me to go. Kind of warm up to. Wow, that's yeah. And now I like go. Oh, this stuff is great. The lyrics are great. All that stuff is great. But when I was younger, that was the one that I was sorry. Go, uh, no, not me. You know. Yeah. Right. 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 So high school, did you go to Brook Park? Did you go to? Did you go to? Uh, Mid-Park. So, Mid-Park, yeah, mid that, that would have been Mid-Park, right. Yeah. So you went there, and were you involved in music at that point yet? Are you in bands, all yes, that kind of thing? Yes, yes. I got in one of my first bands uh, when I was in the 10th grade. Um, they were all older than me. And, uh, and gosh, two of them stayed in the music business. Like, one ended up, both of them ended up in lounge bands and stuff when they were older. But I got in that with them as a, as a lead singer. And what's really funny is I really think what made the difference with me, of course I saw my local groups that I loved, you know, uh, I mean, I could just stare and, and learn so much stuff. I remember when circus was out and go see them, I used to sneak in to see damnation of Adam blessing, you know, and, and, uh, saw the raspberries when I wasn't 18 yet, but I got in one way or another, but, <laughs> but <laughs> when you uh, could do stuff like that. Yeah. But then there was a place I was hanging out at called the Bria community center in, uh, in Berea. And that's where I really met like like-minded bunch of like-minded people and stuff. I I um, 
because you could hang out there and it was all musicians and there was people playing there every weekend. And that's really where I met the guys that were in Love Affair. I was oh. the last member of that band. They were together. They were called Brick. And then they wanted to find a manager and they found a manager with Otto Nuber and they were Skyport. Then my first gig with them, we were Stairway. We changed our name to Love Affair when we knew we were, we were starting to add original material. We were changing the the way bar bands were. Bar bands were still doing f four sets a day, or for a, a night and stuff. We said, no, we're doing three one-hour shows and that's it. And we started making it more of a show instead of instead of uh, a dance bar night and stuff. I got that's you. when we first changed our name to Love When Affair. you say making it more of a show, are you bringing in lights now and that right, kind of thing? Yeah, lights, follow spots, and, and all that. And we were the very first band, I think, in the nation that was wireless because HME, which was a, a wireless company, was experimenting with us. Oh. So we first had their first wireless mic. I think I had that wireless mic in 78, and I think the band was wireless by 79. Wow, yeah. that is and, early. And, uh, and yeah, and it had a big impact then too. And we were doing it, so yeah, we had a follow spot. We had lights going. We had a, we had a five man road crew at that time. Wow. We were still a bar band. Yeah, and uh, that's like when we signed our record deal. They they even asked if there was stuff we needed. We already owned most of our gear at that point because the circuit was great. You could make a lot of money in the circuit. No, it's I I never doubt at that point. I never thought that I would not be in music. At the worst, I'd just have to play five nights a week. That yeah, right, right. If, because if things stay the way they are yeah. now, right. And the money just kept, you know, every time they made a new law or a new thing, you know, like, like when when the state went to 21 was what first heard it, you know, and then as all the other laws started coming in and, and a new generation of people that music wasn't their most important thing, you know? I mean, gosh, we even survived the disco era the live clubs did, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. Well, and that's when you were, that's when this is going on right now. Oh, I mean, you're, you're, you're competing with that right now. Yeah, yeah. And how how did you feel about disco at, when it, at that time? Are you? I, oh, I hated it then, but now I listen to it <laughs> right. now and I'm going, yeah, it's, you know, I'm the same way. Good. Right, I'm kind of the same good. way. Right. Yeah. You can, and, you're, you're kind of like seeing things in it that you were not even a thought about looking for before. Yeah, yeah. In other words, I thought that was like a threat to everything that I <laughs> liked in the world. Yeah, know? right, right, right. And you were, because you were a rocker. Yeah. Right? In, yep. in heart. Yeah. So, um, Love Affair goes on. Now, at what point does, did you guys do Mama Says? That, now, you co-wrote that song. Yes. I co-wrote it with Jim Quinn, who was uh, in Damnation of Adam Blessing. Oh. And, and... Otto Nuber, uh, who's our manager, but uh, but yeah, I just found during the pandemic. I always said I I wrote that song basically on the piano. In other words, Jim Quinn just had a, a musical uh, I, yeah, like idea, and Otto had these silly lyrics, and I had to make them not sound as silly or make it sound like I was making a joke of the lyrics. Yeah, right, so right. So then, then that was when. Uh, I'm sitting at the piano, never intending there to be a piano in the song anyways, but I was like, I found me working up the song, you know, that kind of thing. And then uh, then brought it to the band, and then the band did did their thing to it, you know, and, uh, and that's how Mama Says came about. You know, and it wasn't my favorite song at the time when, when we were first put it together, but if I could write another song like that, because it just is what it is. I look back at it now because it's like this unique yeah, kind of, kind it's, it's of. It's anthemic thing. in some ways because yeah. you got that, you got the silence with the vocal and yeah. all that, and it's a sing along type of a setup, right? Yeah. I mean, it yeah. is. Yeah, and uh, and so we that was like in '79, and then we knew we were we were going to be signed to a record deal. We uh, and and we uh, started recording our 
our album in it was early 79 when mama says was all done and it was uh uh september 79 we started recording our first album we went down for two weeks and then uh and to florida to record the first part of it then we went down for two more weeks to to finish up to finish up the record and uh by may the record was out and the song was on the radio and we had a hit i mean it was like when it started happening it happened just like that huh? like that yeah, yeah. how did you feel at this point was this like so over, was it overwhelming at the time or was it just you eating it up kind of like just it, riding the it, wave it was it, it kind of riding the wave because you, you almost you know half of you can't believe it's actually happening and half of you believe well that's always should have happened so you're you're also in a kind of like torn thing but you always have these different exciting things happening you know i remember Ah, oh, there used to be a place, and believe it or not, it was a disco, but I could go get caught up with my friends when I was off the road. It was called, ah, uh, oh, that was in Berea, too. I can't remember the name of it. That's what sucks about getting old. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I'm coming, I'm coming out. I met the gir a girl that I'm coming out. We're going to go get something to eat. I get in my car, and there's BLF Bash playing an album cut off the uh, off yeah, of the Love Affair album. And, that, and see, I just still remember. I'm like going, Love Affair. And I'm like going... That's me. Yeah, that's me. Is that really surreal sometimes when that would happen? Especially like, when it was the MMS people. Because, you know, you're listening that stage. At that time, you you know, yeah. they're like leading you down yeah, the yeah. path, you know, that right. kind of thing. And they're playing my stuff. And yeah, then, right. And then it was like when we started touring and I was somewhere in Georgia. I'm hearing Mama Says on the radio. And that was another time when I went, you know. And I would say, I remember those moments. Yeah. And then I remembered at one point I was like changing the station when Mama Says came on from one station to another. And I'm like going, oh, I turned into a jaded idiot in just <laughs> two months, you know. because Well, and it was really I was just trying to catch other stuff that was going on and stuff. But yeah. it's like. I've heard this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know the song. Yeah. I know the guy that wrote it. Let me get on to the next thing. You know, <laughs> so so writing songs. What what's your what's your how do you do it? I mean, what's your is it? Did they just come to you and then all of a sudden you just got to get in there and start getting it? How does it happen? It happens sometimes with a hook, like I have a lyrical hook. Sometimes, sometimes it's happened because I I had a. a a lyrical concept that I started writing. Those are usually the harder ones. Like if you have lyrics first and you're trying to make the song make a song to the around lyrics. the lyrics whereas sometimes i i've usually found when i've had an idea of a song in my head and i start doing it and then the lyrics it's easier to fill in the lyrics you know what oh, i yeah, mean yeah, yeah, and yeah. uh but i always try to have a hook so i have what the song was was based about and uh you know sometimes they're really fast and sometimes they're really slow you know um i just depending on how it feels huh this comes out you that way yeah there, there was a a song called Nikki's Got a Girlfriend that was on Love Affair's third album. And I had the concept of the song coming home. For, I, I forget, we did a show at the Colum uh, Columbus Agora and we're driving home that night. We decided not to stay there. And I'm sitting there scribbling down lyrics. I had this idea about, I uh, wanted it to be a, about a girl, but you don't know it's a girl to the end, you know? And, and you know, but Nikki's got a girlfriend, you know, and that kind of thing. And I wanted to keep the subject where it wasn't controversial, but it was more like, but this is what's going on. It was more like just like taking a mirror and go, this is part of life, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and 
I had all the lyrics done. I woke up in the morning and I wrote the song and, I, and it was done. I almost felt like I dreamed the song and the song was done and over exactly the way, way I wanted it to be. And I just went, whoa. I just felt like somebody else had written the song, not No me, kidding. You know? There was also a song on that album called Video World that was the same There was the same thing. I kind of like felt like it wrote itself and I was just like being a conduit, you know? Just going through you. Yeah. Now, it's, I've been People really slow writing songs the, the, these days because my life has just been involved. You need that childlike ability, you know, when you can just shut out the world. Like, you get, a, you get an idea going and say you were going to be doing this, and now, oh, no, I'm going to do that. Well, my life isn't that way anymore, so sometimes I'll get an idea and I'll get it started. I have a million ideas sitting around. I got you. You know, you know because life has taken, you know, there's... Uh, advancing all the Herman's Hermit shows and making sure everything's done, that's like a, a job in itself. So I get off a plane and then I'm doing that, you know, yeah, during that's the like, day. It's like an office-like kind of thing. Yeah, you you're know? kind of like doing the behind-the-scenes yeah, work. You know, and I don't like my brain going from one side to the other, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so as far as the Herman's Hermit thing, I, I there's one question um, I have to ask before we get into that because with, with <clears throat> the way travel has become recently because i saw you guys you guys are touring with with him and you guys are flying all over the united states yeah. and i mean anywhere seattle you can pop up at anywhere at any time and it costs a fortune to fly now it's, so right. so and it just happened so you like you guys had some of this stuff i'm i'm just imagining this i'm figuring some of this stuff was already planned out and then this stuff happens oh, to oh, you later oh yeah. oh yeah it's making it it's making it crazy it's making for making it real crazy for the the woman that handles all peter yeah, all, all of our you know the flight information yeah. and stuff and but also there was another factor that was really bad before the, all the in, the inflation hit is is uh when we first came back from plane there was like lack of vehicles and stuff like that. It was the first time in our oh, lives yeah. they were planning, we were planning on what airport we were flying into as to where we could get a rental vehicle. Because oh, sometimes man. they, and then there's times where they, 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 we had one rented and there wasn't a vehicle there and we got there and we're, and we're like high level things with the different rental car companies and stuff. So there's been all kinds of crazy things. In other words, the inflation now just made it worse. I mean, because uh, some of the airfares have doubled. And that's what I mean. It's got to be like, and you, and you know, like but, the whole. But I, you know, the stress of that is on them, not us. We doesn't change what we. Right, as we, far as you personally, yeah, basically, yeah. because you guys. So, we're, so what does he hire you? Does he? Is, are you guys hired? Is that how that we're works? We're individually hired by him. He, right. he has. He, he has. Uh, you know, when I was with Gary Lewis. Gary Lewis hired me to provide him a band. When I was with Gary Lewis and the Playboys, and Peter, Peter's just the boss of everything, and okay. and you know we all, he's the boss. He pays us. He you know takes care of all, all that stuff, and uh, and so yeah. But I mean, it's a hassle. You're, you're having to really plan out like where how you're going here and how you're going there. There's worse flights that we're sometimes on and all that, but it's it's all because you're right. See, nobody thinks about that, but it's like yeah, that it's been. It yeah. turned it turned insane. Like from I don't know, was that February or March when it all like you know when it all caught up. You know all yeah. the rising prices and the and the fuel and all. Yeah, that stuff. I mean, like, and I'm thinking as far as this business goes, th like, how does this impact the future of this business? Also, because you know, no, like, no. Well, it's it's the, the problem I have with all of it is that we're, we're you know we're, we're, we've come kind of out of the pandemic, sort of I guess you could say, and then. What, what what you're seeing though is 
the effects of all this stuff now. So now we're out of this that that part of it. But now are people actually going to be able to start going back and seeing the shows at the level they were before the pandemic? Have you seen a drop off? I mean, have you have you seen that? I I mean I I I've seen a drop in dates. And what I have seen, I, I not now, but you know, the first year that we were back, and then you'd see a drop off anytime there was that fear of the boom, things going again, back up again. Back like up sometimes again. they'd even bought tickets and weren't coming to the shows and stuff, and and then they are, you know, everybody's trying to muddle through this the way that way that they can, you know, and and you know, we don't want to get you know any kind of and stuff onto it but everybody's got their own way that they believe in this thing and their own way that they're handling it there's some people that are still really really afraid there's, then there's on the other extreme that they, everybody just wants their life completely back and not any kind of thing and i think even all the venues are just trying to find the happy medium the, with, uh, with the, the whole balance thing. Yeah. you know i've had some of them where they say there's equal portions like when the mass thing was still in in place i said they said they had an equal portion of people being angry with them if they had to wear a mask with the equal portion of ones that that were angry if they didn't weren't wear. wear a mask. And then they have the ones that were angry if they had to be vaccinated and show a card. And ones he goes, he goes, no, there's no, he goes, it's just nothing, but we're just trying to manage and get through everything. Yeah, right, 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 right. And, and yeah, so I, I don't, still don't know where the outcome is other than it seems that everybody... It seems once they drop the mass mandates and transportation and all that, it just seems like everything's like kind of like hit its own lull. I mean, you know, I don't see angry people at the airport anymore. I don't see any of that. And it looks like most of the shows have stayed. You know, we've done a bunch of sold out shows with Peter and we've done somewhere where, where you know, we expected them to be better at that, at, at, you know, at that Um we finally went back to Epcot. Epcot, we weren't, we didn't even go back to Epcot in uh, twenty one. That didn't happen until twenty two. You know, and and so, I don't know. You yeah. know, like right. that all depends if we see another thing where they say, "Oop, there's a new variant." Yeah, right, 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 right. I do want to talk about a little bit more about Love Affair because at some point Love Affair ended. So what happens there? How do, how, how does a band like that? You guys are doing well. You guys seem like you're taking off, and then and then what goes wrong? Well, I think. First of all, we were all together from we were in high school, and you know, and especially uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. I can speak this more clearly now. Is that as we were growing up, some of us were growing in different directions. You know, some of us didn't want to be in it full time. You know, anymore. Some wanted to do something different. You know, um, you know, it first started when John um, wanted to leave, and. And it was and and see here I was young and wouldn't even thought about that. He didn't want to miss things when his second child his second child was just being born. He didn't want to miss the same things he missed with his first child. Yeah, right. And that was a time when Love Affair was touring extensively. We would do gosh, we would do two two month tours in Canada each year, and then we'd get back down to Florida and stuff. And and uh, like of course at my age then I didn't necessarily totally understand. I'm going like, why would he want to leave? For, you know that kind of thing right, and right. stuff. And uh, and so that already put a change in. And don't get me wrong, we found uh, the, the replacement. Uh, Jim Golan was great. He was a great uh, great player and all that. But there was something about Love Affair, about the five guys and how we worked together that was special. Then uh, our bass player, Wayne, 
decide he was going to leave and and he was he was given a short notice we had just finished recording the third album we were getting ready they were shopping the record and all that and he just then wanted out and then that was it so now it's three of the you know of the original members and uh, we brought in a phenomenal bass player mark best uh, to uh, to come and play uh, play but it still like wasn't the same and then uh the final straw for me, well, at least we left management first, was when we were leaving uh, management, was uh, we're up in Canada on tour. We had just finished uh, recording our third album that we were all happy with. Barry Morash produced it, the guy that produced the first nine Sticks albums that did Benny Mardona's Into oh. the Night, that produced uh, the Ohio Player stuff. He was happy. We were happy. Right before we went up to Canada, supposedly uh, the the song was "Love Strikes" that they were going to release as a single was sent, and uh, one of the top uh, uh, dance mix guys had done a dance mix thing with it that we heard once, and we actually liked it. You know, I mean, like we're cracking up laughing because they're actually slicing up parts of the yeah, song. Yeah, right, and right, stuff. right, right. So we go up in Canada, go do our first tour. They're shopping the they're shopping the record and. Uh, well, no, we, we already had the deal. I think that was with Dream. That was our next, next record deal, which uh, Dream was part of RCA. And, uh, and I get a call from Otto, our manager, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he had a German accent and stuff. He goes, he goes, we didn't like it. We thought it was too fast. So Quinn and I went in and remixed it and slowed it down. And I went, you did what? And I mean... It was like the first time, I mean, some of the band members were standing there, couldn't believe it, like I ever screamed at Otto, and I actually screamed. And I, and I, he said, well, well, what do you worry about? You'll be able to hear, you know, hear it when you come down. Well, they're already sending it for pressing, you know, and, and all that. And so I got down, and sure enough, it was as bad as I thought, thought <sighs> that it was. And, uh, and what he didn't know is that then we had this photo shoot. In fact, I crack up laughing. I've... I, <laughs> It might be on my website too, but we're standing as we as we're signing with the reps for uh, um, the RCA deal and stand there and and I and I see the look in my eyes. I know because I was leaving that photo shoot to go meet with a lawyer, and because I, I was to start the proceeds to leave Auto as our manager, oh. and that was in July of of eighty three. And uh, on and January first of of eighty four, walked in and left him. Throw the paper down. It was uh, you know I'm not going to get into all the details. It got crazed you know for a minute or two, but we got everything, including the third album. I I own it still in my. That's why I was able to eventually release it, because when we left him, only the EP from Dream RCA uh, uh, came out. And the album was supposed to follow, but they saw the turmoil within the thing, so that kind of dropped. So. We went back to our name, Love Affair. That was that New York minute where they wanted to call the band Unknown Stranger. And, and uh, I should probably tell the reason was is that when the first Love Affair album came out. Yeah, tell us the whole the, thing. The rock, station, the rock stations thought it was a disco band because it was called Love Affair. So they weren't going on the records of some of them. And some of the disco stations thought, oh, Love Affair, let's see what this is. Ah, you know, it's like we're going to... so. The label, Radio Records, had a problem with the name Love Affair. And we had no problem with it. We knew what it was and, w and what it meant. So that's why when the second album came out, it came out with 
And it was, but they wanted to like emphasize our initials. First lie that we ever had told us. They said they wanted to emphasize the initials, but it would say love affair. Well, no, it said LA, do you want it? And had LA as love affair on the back. Now we pissed off MMS because they thought we were trying to. Oh, use LA. Yeah. In fact, in fact, there's an interview when I didn't even think about it because we used to, LA used to be, we'd we'd say that to, that was our fan club thing. You know, they, it, it, LA only meant love affair to me. So I'm going to do this big interview with uh, Kid Leo on the second album. And he goes, so uh, with all this Cleveland uh, pride and all this, why would you alter your name to LA? I mean, what what first comes to mind when you hear LA? I went, love affair. No, he was like... (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And it was just a tough, tough... Tough, tough inter- interview, man. I was hit broadside. So that was the second problem. So then when Dream RCA signs the group, they, they everybody has a bright idea for a new name, and we thought it was the stupidest thing in the world. So they held a contest, and then they came up with the name Unknown Stranger. It only lasted for six months, the release of that single EP, and then that was it. We left auto, went back to the name Love Affair, Money went right back up in Cleveland and went right back up on our tour- touring thing, and we ran out the next year. I had I had told the drummer at that point I was really only staying in the band now because he was enjoying playing with the new bass player, and I said, if you decide you're out, then that's it. Even though Wes, the other guitarist, and I were real close, it just wasn't feeling like love affair anymore. Yeah. So Mike, after we came off of one of our most successful Canadian tours, he told me that he that he wanted out. So. We had a group meeting, even with our road crew, and all decided that, you know, it was time to retire the band, you know, and, and we took it to a vote, and Wes didn't want to put up his hand, but saw that everybody else had, had said that that was what they wanted to do. I just said it'd be egotistical, Wes, for you and I to think that we could still call this love affair, yeah. you know, and... Uh, Although so many bands do that, I mean... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, I just, you know, see, it's why, but see, we respected the bands like Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah, right. You know... When one guy's died, I said that was it, you know, and uh, so I don't know. Um, That was how the end of Love Affair really came about. That was giving you all the 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 inside stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed you said during that though a a few times how you toured Canada, toured Canada. Were you guys bigger in Canada? Did you guys sell well in Canada? Did the album do well there? What What was the reason why you? What was funny was the albums was only on imports. There we went up there. Actually, we went up there when there was a band called Cleveland. It used to be around. I remember there. Cleveland. Mark Buckwald's Cle- mom was in Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, Cle- uh, was the, she was the singer, actually. Holly? Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, she was, remember when they did that world record? They, did, they broke the record the or something Yeah, like they broke the record. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, they were really successful with their uh, 70 Minutes of Insanity up in Canada, but they were having a problem in Cleveland. So the agency that handled us was getting them shows in Cleveland, they turned them on to places up in, in Canada. So when we first, the very first time we went up to Canada, even though Love Affair was already, you know, a recording act, stuff, where else, we went up there doing two things. We did original show, and then we did a Led Zeppelin, uh, an hour of Led Zeppelin. Well, after the first time we were there, we were able to drop the Zeppelin. That would only be like an encore. It was really all original. They loved our original stuff, and 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 we packed the places that we went to, and that's what we did. Like from eighty, 
Beginning of 82 through 84, yes, we would do two two-month tours that would take us. And we never even went far west. It was off Ontario, Quebec, uh, New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia. Uh-oh. And and, uh, and I believe we went to Newfoundland once. And uh, But it was great. I, I was actually looking to move there at one point, almost really? to Toronto. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I mean, I, I met friends there. We were having a bl- I was having a blast there in all kinds of ways. And... Uh, and and we, and we did well, and it was really the live thing that was great for us. So we made a lot of money. We come back, we we come back home, and we sit. We you know we'd play certain places, but we didn't play a lot of places because we didn't want to hurt our crowd at that point because we're really just doing a ninety minute original show by that time. Right, 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 right. So, so we, I guess we, I guess the one question that keeps coming to my head through this whole thing is. You guys are you guys are definitely getting a taste of success at this point, and, and it's still early. Still early. I mean, you guys, you know, in, in yeah. relatively in a successful band's career, you guys are early on the, in the career. Why are these guys wanting to get out? Is it? I mean, I mean, you know, I, I guess what it could be, and I'm thinking is sometimes it's lack of success that breaks up the band, but sometimes success. Guys start getting a taste of what the life is really going to be like, and then they're like, you know what, this isn't really what well, I. Well, that's what it is. Some of them, and you hit right on it. Some. That's why I said we all grew up, and we grew up in different directions. Now, now mind you, when I say this, all five of us are still extremely close. We've all oh, stayed, cool. we stayed, we stayed re- really, really, really close, and all that. And we just had to go through the, the the little period of not understanding why somebody left the band and stuff. But we were all like brothers, you know. I mean, our parents would, you know, it was a big deal when one, one person's parent passed because we were kind of like all their kids, you know what I mean? We didn't start really young, but, you know, for the three members, for Wes, Wayne, and John, it's the only band they ever had. That's the very first band they ever formed. And they eventually, you know, the... Uh, Drummer was the second last piece of the band, and I and I was the last piece of the band, and um, and I used to make a joke. If you're a West Sider, you understand that the three of them, uh, the the four of them, were, were all from Berea. I was from Mid Park. I said they had to get some Mid Park class in the band to finally you know, solidify. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Well, Berea, Mid Park, and Brook Park, right? Those are the that yeah, was the yeah. I mean, uh, Middleburg Heights and Brook Park. Yeah, right? yeah, that yeah, was the three. Yeah. Um, okay, so love affairs over with. Now you got you, and you're not in any mood to quit music whatsoever. This no. is yeah, right. You're the one guy that's never quitting, and it's time shows yeah. you didn't. Um, so what do you do then? I recorded an album. I put together. <laughs> I'd put together the band. I had already had it together, and we we're going to be called Richard and the Heartbeats, and uh, going to go in a slightly different direction. That was the other thing too. I was starting to write um, more poppy kind of stuff, and. And I'll be honest, I mean, I had, a, I had a natural lean towards it, but it was also a business thing in me when I was watching the more crossover stations you crossed over on, yeah, the more successful you were, sure. you know, and, and, and all that. So I was like going, okay, so it even kind of makes sense. All right. And so that, that was what became Richard and Heartbeats. I recorded an album before I actually had the band. The band came afterwards. I had different people playing on it. Gosh, Kurt Giano played on it. Uh, Tommy Bramu was in a group called Moonlight Drive, who ended up being my first guitarist in 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 the band too, played on it. Ray Varga, who was a sax player with with Moonlight Drive at that time, played on it. And uh and and it was easy to find. A lot of people wanted to get know, involved. I was Rich Spina from Love Affair, you know, and, and all that. So it was like there was people to pick from and stuff, but I'd never done that before. I'd been with the exact same people. So I'm just trying to 
figure out what would be the best would be the best way to go. So I recorded the album and I um and I thought I was going to get signed really quick and that didn't happen. So I eventually started building the live band together and stuff, trying to get the ba- the band as strong as what I thought uh, Love Affair was, you know, as far as a live performing band. And then I released a song called Somebody Loves You in 1986 myself, and it became a big hit here in Cleveland, and it became a hit in a few other, a few other pocket places. I just didn't have the ability. I was self-managed at that point. I was running my own career. I didn't know how to parlay the radio airplay I was getting and all that. I, that's probably the time when I, when I was probably most... Uh, really overwhelmed in the true sense of the word in other words i didn't know how to parlay all that stuff i'm and i'm trying to you know all i am is just an artist you know right right and, right and uh and so so this at this point though you're trying to take your so you're wearing more hats now yeah is that is is partially that because of the bad taste that was left in your mouth from the previous thing with the manager and all that stuff are you like saying you know what now i'm gonna do things yeah, well, there was a little bit of that, and then it was a little bit of like, like it's going to have to be somebody that's going to move a career forward, not somebody that's just making a paycheck, you know. And don't get me wrong, Otto was great when we were younger. He was more like a football coach. There couldn't have been a better manager for a bunch of 17 and 8, 16, 17 and 18 year olds growing up than him. It's just that he didn't know when to pass the ball. Right, right, you right. You know, like I like I remember one incident. Premier Talent wanted to sign the band when Mama Says was out and all that. Well, that would have meant we would have been opening up for 20,000 seaters for like... Arena stuff. Years. Yeah, 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 arena stuff. And they made the decision no. And, you know, it really was their own financial thing. Energy Talent would lose their thing of trying to parlay us. They, they thought we were better off playing small concert rooms and stuff you know whereas you know we wouldn't know who jay giles in kansas is if it wasn't for the fact of them opening up for the world i was gonna say that van halen yeah i mean there's tons of the biggest bands ever that because they were at some point opening yeah Yeah, so i mean and i mean i don't hold mistakes against you know i mean yeah everybody's going through it the first time but i sure filed it away because you know what you have to strike the right things when it's hot because yeah, yeah. when it's not, we released a second album in Love Affair by all means of in Cleveland, everything was bigger than we ever were, but the album kind of flopped. So once the album kind of flopped, the offers weren't coming in for those oh. for, for that thing because I, I think Otto realized he had made a mistake at that point, you know, but there was just too much of that, too much where he still wanted to keep controlling things instead of, you know, you got to look for people that, that know how to, move into the next step you know different jobs for different people to do different things and that's how you get through this yeah 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 and uh so but you know i was still left with my talent and all the lessons i learned from it and i was probably unmanageable at that moment in the (laughs) heartbeats too because i i knew i i and i knew i had to prove something and i really had to prove it myself and once i got somebody loves you and it was on the radio and i and i proved probably more to myself than anybody else. Then, uh, then, then I was looking to move and I was looking to put people together. I, I tried to put a couple of people together for management and stuff. It just didn't work out the way that I thought it was going to work out. And, uh, you know, then, then there was a time I almost signed with CBS. I think it was CBS records. And they were also interested in me being a producer for the developmental acts. So I was like, all excited 
I was really, really excited. In fact, I remember all that was going on at the same time when the the Light of Day movie was coming out here. That was that was uh, Joan Jett. Yeah, because I got to go to the go to the premiere of it because CVS was there and they were meeting with me, and so I got to go because of that. You know, I got to meet my, Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett and stuff, and uh, so I really thought it was happening, and then it didn't happen. They passed, so I'm sitting there at the end of 1984, and I'm like going. What do I do now? I had this. Oh, yeah, that was the other thing with Somebody Loves You. I even had press that I couldn't even have hoped for. Uh, they're playing it on the new when, when, when 96 or 98 first restarted when Denny Sanders was there and all that, that short time period. Um, Somebody Loves You had gone up to number four. There, uh, Stevens, uh, uh, Graham Nash is coming in for an interview. And the first thing he says, he goes, what was that song you just played by that group? And made a whole big thing about the song and loved it and ended up leaving with a copy to take to a friend of his in Australia. So I'm getting all these interviews and all that. And I'm like going, I don't know what else I can do to make anything happen. And I lost that. And that deal didn't happen. You know, right, so right. I'm going, what the do I do next? So I was going to release another single. And, uh, and I did. Then I went, and then I injured, I'll go to the first hand. I injured this hand, and I'm sitting there going, you know what? And it's January of, uh, oh, well, no, it was 86. It was, it was January of 87. And I'm like going, I shouldn't at this age have to play out <laughs> and play out one hand. And Billy and I just started playing together as a duo well, they to, to heal, to keep money going together and, and this and that. And I got to quit putting money, throwing money because I was my all, all my own money going into the Richard and Heartbeats project. Money I'd gotten from Love Affair and, uh, and other things. And I said, there's got to be a better way. So I decided I was going to move to Nashville. And I was going to move to Nashville. I could play out as a piano bar and try to sell my songs because they still had publishers that actually signed songwriters and stuff. And I was going to do that. And then I got a call from Gary Lewis's manager asked me to put together a new Playboys because I'd played, I'd played a spot date for him in 1985 or 86 or whatever. And uh, I went, that sounds right. That sounds what I could do right now. My only intention was going to be to um, do that for a year kind of lick my wounds and then get right, right back, back into the business. And I did that. My heroes, some of my heroes started becoming my friends and I was enjoying doing it. And then Sonny Geraci, who you know from Cleveland, you know, uh, time won't let me and had precious and few were his hits, you know, he's with the outsiders and all that. He was doing one of the oldies shows and I'd known him because believe it or not, he opened up for love affair when he was coming out oh, with an album at one, at one point. And, uh, he gave me the best wisdom in the world. And I, and I say exactly what he said it to me because we, we had done a summer together. It was called the Super Rock of the 60s Tour where it was Gary Lewis headlined, Billy J. Kramer, we ba and we backed him up, Sonny Geraci, and we backed him up, and uh, Dennis Jost, who was in the Classics 4. And Sonny just looked at me and goes, you know, Rich, he goes, you know I always loved you. He goes, you are a great front man. He goes, but there's a lot of great front men. He goes... You're, you're a fantastic singer. He goes, there's a lot of fantastic singers. He goes, 
You're a really good songwriter. He goes, there's not as many of them, but you can still do that. He goes, but what you do for Gary Lewis, giving 110% of yourself for somebody else, he goes, that's rare. You decide to do that, you're going to work the rest of your life. And he was right. Yeah, I was I mean, 31 years old. I'm 60, going to be 67 in okay. November. And yeah, and you're still doing it. You and, made a and career. And they're my friends. You know, Mitch. Mitch Ryder is one of my one of my close close friends. I talk to him almost weekly and stuff. And Gary and I are so close. Billy and I just did a date with Gary. Uh, our, our boss Peter was on vacation in France, and uh, Gary had a date and and. New Orleans that he needed a keyboard and guitarist. We said, we'll do it. Yeah, I'll go, you know. And so, you know, it's like, and, 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 and through a good portion of that, it was good. I was writing for other people. I was writing for, I produced Sonny's album where he did like seven or eight of my songs and stuff. And uh, gosh, Billy Huffsey has, has, has recorded some of my songs. You know, he was on Fame and, and, and that, because he was a Brook Park boy. You know, originally. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I, and I, gosh, I've even worked with Mark Lindsay in my studio, um, uh, Billy J. Kramer in my studio in Brook Park. Some of the stars that, that wandered around in Brook Park is <laughs> like uh, pretty funny. But uh, but so, anyways, I was really enjoying my, myself through that because I was still writing and, and and all that. So I have no regrets, but it was definite a definite shift. Because yeah. I'd really felt I'd done everything I could, and I was 31 years old. It was time to start, if I wanted to stay in the music business, start thinking how I could be rewarded for it without worrying about that great hit, you know. How how, how does it, it uh, you, you, you and Billy Sullivan are kind of almost like synonymously kind of in some ways linked together. And, yeah. and I mean, partially because you guys perform together now. You guys are always kind of like at some point there's just uh, your guys and I, I'm sure part of it's just the time that you guys were both in the music scene. Well, you're there's, just really- there's some kind of synergy that happens with us because Billy is seven years like younger than me. I first met Billy because his uh, his brother wanted me to hear, hear him. Love Affair was together and Billy was, uh, uh, was a teenager then. And that's when he looked like uh, uh, he looked like a young Peter Frampton. He had long hair and all that I stuff see, when yeah, I first pictures. talked to him. But uh, we became friends when uh we're hanging out at kirk Yano's studio and he was coming you know he'd come off the road with with paul pope and i'd be off the road with love affair and we'd sometimes go see some things it wasn't until um 1986 87 when we started playing together and that was all by a fluke billy had had his his uh 85 hit uh 86 hit of uh never again you know lo- local hit and stuff you know each other. He, I, I was doing my piano bar. He came out to the piano bar one night, and and I was at the same time. I had somebody loves you out, and he got up and did a song or two with me. I had a great night happening. It was at a place called Dave's, which used to be Bober's, which is now Rivals, you know, in Middlebrook Heights. Oh. and uh, and the owner came up, and wanted me to add another night, and that's usually the kiss of death. You don't want to screw up a great night if you got it going. And so I said, yeah. He goes, well, what about that blonde hair guy? That sounds like said. So I go, Billy, you want to do a night? No, I don't want to play alone. I, I, I go, well, I'm not playing that night. I'll do it with you. And that's how our duo was born. No kidding. And then that's... That just kind of started as the I, birth? And I started getting rid of my piano bar dates and doing all du- duo dates. And we both went into Gary Lewis and the Playboys together. And we were there for oh. 18 years and yeah. involved in everything else. And if I'm in the studio, I don't really want anybody else in there. But Billy, there's, there's things. We're like a yin and a yang to each other. That's great. You, you know what I mean? He's got, you know... 
He's got perfect pitch. I have relative pitch. All my relatives have it. <laughs> and, 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 but I, but I worry about feel like we're, we're really good when we're teaming up on, on, on recordings oh, yeah. and stuff. Absolutely. And, and then there was a time period where we weren't together for a bit. We went our separate ways. That's when I went with, with Herman's Hermits and he went back with Gary Lewis. But then three years later, he came in with the Hermits and, you know, and and now we're back to playing a lot more than than I ever thought we would like locally and stuff yeah, yeah. and having fun. Another thing I, I I remember is Love Affair reunited at one point in like 2002 for a little while there they they got well, back together. Well, yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't that reunited permanently. We did a reunion show. It actually first what first happened was uh, Deanna Adams was coming out with that book about rock and roll in Cleveland and all that, and so they wanted to have some of the people. For at the rock hall, perform for it that were that were oh. in her book. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, I um uh got the guys in love affair, but it wasn't the full band. It was everybody except Wayne. Wayne didn't do it, so we brought in somebody else to play to play bass on it, and we did. We we call it the 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 not true reunion. Uh, I um. In 2002, and uh, and so we, we did the, the the thing at the Rock Hall. Then we played at the Odeon and di and did a show at the Odeon, and it was okay. It was fine, but it wasn't the same. But our big one was we did two. We did one in 2012 where we did two sold out back to back shows at the at Tangiers, and that was the original lineup. And then we did it again in 2016. I was with maybe I was 60 years old. Uh, you know, six months away from being 61. And that was probably the show where even our deepest fans, uh, when we when we did the reunion in 2012, it was strictly our albums and, you know, and, and a little Led Zeppelin medley before before Mama Says at the end. And there were two 90-minute shows where I did. First time I had to, like, in a while, like, do a 90-minute show, wait, they cleared them out, bring people in and do a 90-minute show wow. again. And, and uh, but it was... Uh, it was good and it was fun, but then the rest of the band uh, finally got what I was saying when we were rehearsing. You know, the rehearsals were our reunion. That was where it all getting yeah. to telling stories. But I kept saying, there's nothing I can do from here up. But from here down, I can be exactly the way I was, the way they remembered me. And that was what it was all about. And so in 2016, everybody was kind of playing into that way. We were Everything was about doing it for the fans. We picked the songs that we did by the ones that the fans loved the most. Like, uh, we were never personally big on 17 and You're a Star that was on the first Love Affair album, but the fans loved it, so we did it, you know? And uh, and uh, then we... But we did a, a, a throwback from what they would remember us in the bar days, which oh, really cool. blew away some of the other people that only knew us as a recording act. We did a little small Four Seasons medley within the thing, we did, uh, there was something else that we did. Oh, and we encored with Bohemian Rhapsody. Really? Yeah. Now, I've seen you do that. I've seen you do that by yourself. Yeah. Playing with Billy, actually. I saw yeah. you do it. That's amazing. But you guys actually did that, too. So we see did that song back in 76, 77 and stuff. And, and we did it. We, we didn't do it You did all well the harmonizing and everything? I mean, you guys had all that stuff well, all you know, planned out properly, basically? Yes, yes. But you know what wow. it is? Is that it's not that there weren't a part or two missing, but as long as you, as long as you were doing what was on the record... People subliminally hear the rest of the yeah, 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 yeah. I heard you say yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And, and uh and so and that was the big surprise because you know, that nobody knew it. We just went on. It, it it was weaker than we had than we had done it in practice, but it was still 
it was so good and it was fun. But I, to our fans that remembered us as a power band and all that, they they walked away with every. And it was a two hour and ten minute show nonstop. We just did one show that time, and I guess I kind of knew that was going to be the last one. Well, you know? well, first of all, these were all original members. Now, did, did all these guys continue playing their instruments up until that point, or did some of these guys have to brush up and and, and get caught back up again to do that game? Um, Wayne, probably the bass player, is the only one that had to get caught up back. That was a joke in 2012 when he says, when he said, you know, I open my bass every now and then and look at it. He has <laughs> none of his kid, neither one of his kids had ever seen him perform as a musician. Oh, you know, he, had, he had started his own business and became really successful and all that and had a whole set of friends. The 2012 one, he was more nervous about because people were going to see him that never saw him on stage. Oh, before. yeah, it's like a first time but, thing. But, but Wayne, he was he was a real talented guy. He came back really, really quick. Mike Hudak never stopped playing the drummer. The drummer was with, with me in the... In the with with Gary Lewis and the Playboys until until we uh, stopped and we're still doing other dates spot dates with 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 some other sixties artists. In fact, he's still the fill in drummer with Herman's Hermits because because Peter loves him on drums. Whenever Dave uh, the drummer is involved in something else back in L.A., Michael will come in and still and still play. John kind of never stopped playing, and Wes never did. In fact, Wes then put together that eighties band, which was a big band playing around town here and stuff, and. Uh, but so no, everybody, but with exception of Wayne, everybody kept kept playing. You know, oh, so it wasn't it wasn't that hard to get everybody. Yeah, I mean they weren't play. playing in bands; they just never stopped playing. In other words, they still love music. They just were were looking at different careers. That's all. You know? Now you said that at that point you realized that this that was probably the last show. Did it, did everybody kind of feel that way? Was there ever a moment? Did you ever hear anybody like, "Man, this was fun. Let's we should we should get the band back together." Well, we all loved it, but it was also still the. Um, managing what everybody wanted to do would i have been happy to do more shows yes west didn't want to do it again unless we were going to do multiple shows wayne only wants to do one or two shows and that was it so it really was more like we juggled it as far as we could juggle it is probably you know and now west's health is uh would 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 limit him from doing it uh i just saw him last week we're hoping he gets better but he's been having he's been having some health problems that sucks yeah all right, so 2006, you joined Herman's Hermits. Yes. With Peter Noon. Yeah. How does that happen? Well, um, I actually knew Peter from back in 1988 because me and Billy, and we were with Playboys, had backed him up before, and we'd, and we'd seen him on the circuit. Um, some, somehow he knew that I'd, I'd left Gary Lewis, and he asked me if I wanted to come, you know, come work for him. And I just said, yes, I already knew nobody worked more than him. I mean, even then. I mean, he's uh, an un- unbelievable entertainer. I mean, he's, he's uh, he, he in fact, he got Entertainer of the Year right before the pandemic in 2019 for all no the casino kidding. things and all that stuff. And that was up against some big heavy hitters and stuff. And uh, so it's just a great relationship. Plus, I was a big fan of Herman's Hermits as a kid. You know, at one point, they passed the Beatles on my turntable for one, like, six months eight month eight, eight month period and stuff and uh so it's been fun it's hard to believe now i'm getting ready to go into my 17th year and you know wow because that still feels like my new thing that i did <laughs> yeah, well well it's the latest kind of right i mean except for I, the- I, I honestly don't know how much longer though i mean um like what i did say about the pandemic is it made me realize there's lots of other things that i that I like to do that was doing creative. I could retire. I listened to my parents. I 
I listened to my, both my parents and saved my money, put my money away. And no matter which way I, my, my career was going, I kind of lived like that and stuff. But not to retire, retire, but I think maybe next year might be my last year on the road. No and, kid, and just stay local after that, and just yeah, do some. Yeah, lo- because I, 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 honestly, I love playing the date. Me and Billy play on our Monday nights. Billy won't be because he's on vacation. It'll just be me by myself. I love playing at my church on Sundays. I love, um, I love being creative again and working, working on stuff. You know, um, uh, I want, I would like, like to write more. And you know, truthfully, I have less sunsets left in my life, and. And I want to en- enjoy enjoy some things. The road, I, I don't, don't get me wrong, I'm grateful. I am been blessed that I've never had to do anything thing but music. But it's really like redirecting what kind of music that I want to do. I don't yeah. know how much longer I want to do the 4 a.m. I mean, and you know, I hope nobody's hearing this right now. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I just don't know how many more years. I, I'll be 68 by the end of next year. Well, it's know. a lot to this traveling, and and, yeah. and not only that, but traveling is not like it used to be. It's a pain in the ass. No, These airports oh, is no, all a pain. It's all, you know, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, it's it all started back in, you know, two thousand and one, where it started getting bad. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah, it's it's not it's not fun. It's not it takes the fun it out of a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, it took true. the fun out of it. You know, I mean, I go back to the days where I remember my girlfriend could be waiting for me at the gate. You know what I mean? That's gone. You know, because you can't even. You know, I'm talking about all the things with security and stuff like that. Yeah, there are, and there's a million ways, and you really always have to be at the airport an hour and a half beforehand because you don't know if it ever raised uh, a threat level. You know, yeah. You know, it's uh, you know, ninety minutes for me is because you know I'm clear and I'm TSA pre and all this and that. I, I get the airport in Cleveland. I'm I'm at my gate in like five minutes. You know, between being checked in and and through security, but I got to be there ninety minutes for it. And I just bring my laptop and try to do work. <laughs> when you say you do work, are you doing like? Uh the booking type stuff or stuff like that, or do you? I, I don't. I don't. You don't do have booking. like editing software in the. Oh, I do have editing software <laughs> on there, but mostly I'm doing. I'll, I'll try to be doing some of the stuff where I'm advancing production, uh, advancing. You know, like making sure. My job with that is I make sure they have our backline exactly the way I see what we require. Uh, that they have the PA, they have the follow spots for Peter. They know that we have a sign, a, a, a backdrop that has to go up. If we're responsible, or if they're if they're picking us up and stuff like that, I have to give them all of our flight information so they pick us up and, and get us. And you know, and sometimes, and now post pandemic, you know, when you talk about things that have changed, there's places we play it regularly where now it's all different people. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. or there's some people doing double duty, you know, and uh, a, a lot of things changed, you know, during, you know, the, the pandemic. So sometimes I'm calling more different people and sometimes I'm researching out who my people are and stuff again to talk to. So can, can you see a time maybe in the future where where the music part is no longer what you're doing anymore? You're more now into just production uh do you can you see that or is this is it is it something like where the music is in your soul and everything I don't, I, I don't else. think I could ever leave the leave the music in yeah. fact if even if I'm talking about you know what if I might pull it, make sure it's because I want more music less of the less of the business aspect of it or less of less of the traveling to go make music yeah right 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 so it would be it would be production and it would still be playing and it would still be you know and hopefully writing more again because then i'd also have the time to shut out the world if i'm like i get an idea you know and 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 stuff and uh are you one of those people where you you have to write 
it's it's almost like a curse that you have that if you didn't have an outlet musically to get things out of you, um, that it would you, you feel like something when it would was, it would not be younger, good. When I was younger, absolutely. I it, it's not anymore. I'm I'm kind of happy like like what I was saying before. The older I get, the more grateful I get. The more I realize how blessed I was, and and happier. I, that's the only way I can. They, they, in other words. More appreciative of yeah. things, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and so with that, I don't. I it sometimes kills some of that kind of hunger, you know, like yeah, yeah. like, oh Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> very that kind of great. Thing, you know, um, since, since you were a part of that whole late seventies, kind of early eighties rock, that was when you were really like, yeah, that was the, also the time where rock could be wild. A lot of you know, like today, things. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I, I could ask, but I'm sure Peter Noonan, the Herman's Hermits aren't necessarily. You, you don't have girls throwing panties on stage anymore, or do you? I mean, like that would be no, no. no but it, that, I was thinking one of his jokes about it. That's all. That's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what they would look like at that point. <laughs> well, that's, there you go. You're, you're along those lines. On it now. But I mean, like back in the old days and stuff. Like I mean, when things were there crazy. Was crazy time. There was especially. One of the things that was great about Cleveland, which is why we had so many great musicians and talented people out of Cleveland, is the bar circuit was great. You first had a fan following. Each band had their own fan following. And I'm talking about for a local band, you know, that, right, you know, right. that, that kind of thing. And they were packed. I mean, we used to get crazy stuff like that during our bar days. I mean, you know, I, I got pulled off a stage a couple of times during when, then this is before Love Affair had Mama Says and stuff. So, yeah, those days are long gone. <laughs> right, that's what I mean. You know, like a lot of the times we get the people on the show and we're, we try to get them like, well, what's happened on tour? Anything crazy, you know, blah, blah. And they're like, we just sit around and wait for, you know, and there's nothing. It's not like it used to be. The stories just flow out of people from the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah. Well, because it was a whole different thing. You were a different age. It was a, there was a different mindset in the world. There was a different way that people behaved, you know. And, and uh, you know, like, like you ever notice it, it is with um, uh, there hasn't been any rockers accused of doing anything Crazy with women or whatever I'm talking about from back. You know, which, oh, you know, yeah, you know yeah, when the yeah, whole yeah, new yeah. moment, the Me Too moment, then was because who was grabbing who? You yeah, know right, what I mean? Right, right. And that was, it was just a different. That's what I mean when you say it was a different era. Well, everybody was out. Was was everybody was out to do the same thing? I think then uh, you yeah. know make, a lot of people joined this that. stuff up for those reasons. Yeah, yeah. And whereas you know now you know like I say different side of the road now. When I went on the road with uh, Love Affair, we're up in Canada. I'm just saying, oh man, I wonder if that girl will be out at this one. Uh, oh what's yeah, going on there. Oh yeah, it's all about about fun. You know what you're going to do on stage? It's all about the fun. Well, now it's about keeping myself healthy, make sure I get the sleep I need, making sure I I'm I'm, I'm good to go for the show and all that you know we were invincible when we're young we're not invincible yeah, sleep when we're old. yeah sleep is like so <laughs> such a premium now you, you'll, you'll center everything and make sure you get enough of that and, and but now with speaking to that too is there's now generations of people that are more like that even at a young age yeah. you know I mean, health has become a bigger uh, uh, focus issue when they're you know uh you talk to any baby boomers we joke around about because they've even joked around with their kids i grew up 
everybody stayed in the bars till two in the morning. Then they went to Denny's or, or one of those. <laughs> yeah, there was a late. Yeah, overnight. and they still got up to go to work at seven in the morning. Oh yeah, you'd go to breakfast after the bar. Yeah, yeah. younger people today, they're like, oh, they're nine thirty. They're leaving because they got to be somewhere at ten in the morning tomorrow. You know yeah. that kind of thing. And I mean, it's a different. Well, and don't forget, there's other things to consider, too. In 1978, you could be at a bar, you could get loaded, you, on your way home, could get pulled over, and the cop would go, now listen, you're only a mile from home, just be careful, make sure all the kids get home safely, even if you were slurring and on your 12th beer, that's kind of what was happening back then. So people wouldn't think of, about going out to bars as much as they have to well, now yeah, because yeah, yeah. things a, are everything. different. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, a yeah. Different, it's a different world. It's a, it's a different world out there. And, and, you know, and I'm not saying that, that I'm just like saying it in a negative way. There's, no, there's, no. there's bad and there's good. There's sure. good, there's way good that's come from that and there's also bad come from that. Like I, 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 I just think some people... Don't take time to just have fun anymore. Yeah, take every, know, take just, everything a little too seriously yeah. and stop to just just to say fuck it and just do something fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I like I there was a time period I was wondering like, what is there people on Facebook just waking up in the morning to try to find somebody that's going to make them angry? <laughs> yeah, well that's that's what social media has become. Twitter, so all of that stuff. It's just people bitching. Yeah. It's all yeah, it's, that's a good way to say it. It's yeah, like it's about people bitching. Just yeah, bitching. Like, Everyone's just bitching, and if they're not bitching about something, they're bitching at each other, and it's just it's it's a mess. It, but but it kind of proves like like it, I think it's exposed some faults with people in general. You know, this social media. If anything, it's exposed that. Um. All right. So now you're basically you still never asked me about the Tamishander though. Oh yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, because that's because really that was what really once I saw that I saw that before we had Drew Losha on the show. Oh okay, I saw that. I, I just on I just came upon it, and um, Drew's a sweetheart. Yeah, he's a great guy. The other the other guy I wanted to mention was Tyrone Hornbuckle because he. Oh was, yeah, Tyrone. Yeah. Yeah, Tyrone was what like, make sure guy. you get rich on your show, <laughs> and don't let him tell you he's not a great keyboard player. He is. <laughs> what he told me yeah, i would say i'm just a chord puncher you know? that's what he said he goes he always talks about oh i'm not that good he's like he really is good um but but with drew he he drew's a pretty cool guy i mean he he has all this footage he's done all this work but in all this time he doesn't get compensated really for it he just put did all this for Love. just a yeah and this and and people you know that, the reason we had him on was because uh, to me not only was he a super <laughs> cool dude but yeah i was like this guy has the holy grail I mean, he has everything. He's got everybody. If you want to tell the story, you need this guy because he's documented it. He yeah. has it all. Um, but he had that. And I watched that whole thing happen as a slow burn. I mean, he, it wasn't. It grew to bigger than he even thought it was going to be. He cool. just wanted to start documenting stuff, and then it just turned into this. Yeah. Well, he was the only one doing it for one, and so everybody was like, "Hey, come to my gig, you know, do my thing." But the Tamshan, is that what it was called? Tamshan, yeah. When he said, it, "I said I remember that now." Yeah, he said that the way he described it was there was a night where a ton of the top musicians kind of got together and basically just had a jam night, basically <laughs> and, and interchange parts and stuff. And there's one specific thing where you're doing Janis Joplin, and I, I mean, literally, it's hard to tell that it's not her singing that friggin' song oh, sometimes. Thanks. It really she was is. one of my. She's another one of my favorites. Yeah, you have even like every. 
Like all the little, the small things that she does, you were doing all of them. You obviously knew the song. Like, yeah, I didn't even bother changing the uh, the the he or she's in it. I kept it. Yeah, we well, know. I remember the first time I showed it to somebody. They're like, well, "Why did he say that?" And I'm like, "I'm the first non-binary person." Hey. <laughs> That's cool. And it's documented. No. <laughs> And you're smoking a cigarette while you're singing that song, too. I was going to say that cigarette. I'm like, how does he do that? Look at that. He defies everything. You know, me and Billy just did that about six years ago in Washington State. There was this. We we had done a, our, our Herman's Herman show. <coughs> there was this great group playing with two girls and a girl singer and a bass player. He brought us up on stage, and I wanted her to do Beast of My Heart. She didn't, so I ended up doing it. And oh, she you... ended up doing it, but it was like. It was it was it fun. Was fun. Yeah, yeah, that's that. No kidding. I mean, and and even then, there's. I think Billy's playing with you on that too. Back then, I oh, think yeah, it's, it's yeah, Billy yeah. playing yeah, guitar was on, on that. that. Was and was that Tommy Rich on drums on that one? Uh, I'm trying to remember because Tommy Rich was there. I know George Sipple was on. It was wow. during that whole day, a whole night, a whole bunch of things happened on that night. You know, crazy and, stuff. Yeah, yeah. All that's not all documented, but yeah. a lot of crazy stuff. There was that was that one of those nights that you just don't forget? Like like a night. There's going to be got to be well, a few of those, right? I, where, you know what it was is that it was a great night and a great time he had i didn't remember that it was also being filmed or anything didn't even know that and then it all became like all the memories came back from that you know oh yeah that yeah. also had paul sedotti who was my bass player at the time with her with herman's uh with uh gary lewis and the playboys he's been with taylor swift her whole oh. you know her whole career as her guitarist and stuff well he's on the bass on some of those, and he's on drums on a couple of those and stuff. And he wasn't on guitar, though, which was his instrument. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah, but he was bass player for me when I had him in uh, when I had him with uh, Gary Lewis and the Playboys. He was just a little twenty one year old guy at that point and stuff. What what if you if when you're looking back at the at the whole career you have, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool career. I mean, you really did. You 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 were able to 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 put together something that I mean, I could see you being proud of your career. Why wouldn't you be right? I mean, I'm, ha I'm, I'm happy. I'm fortunate. I, there, I, I, I have no regrets. Is there is there anything that comes to mind immediately though from this whole life that you've lived, where you're like that one? There's just that one thing that you're like that was just. I mean, it seems to me like something could would stick out after all of this. Well, that have I do have one of them was when I was with the Topping of the Rock. Uh, in Cleveland, when they put together was a Cleveland super band. It was all, they all had to have some kind of like success with it, and I was invited to be a part of that. So I played all day with Wally Bryson, who was one of my heroes from Raspberries, with uh, Jim Bonfanny, who was yeah, you know heroes. Uh, Michael Stanley was also played played within the band. Dale Peters from James Gang was in it. Um, oh. Joe Vitale was was a oh. part of it and all that. And we were just playing all day, playing for the as they were putting the last last bit of rock. And that was that was one of the high points of my life. And no um, kidding, yeah, it's like an all star band. Yeah, and 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 that I was and I was youngest guy in the band at that time. Oh. You know that too. And uh, and then there was uh, it, it's more like they're, they're more like odd things like that. Like there was a time too when I was uh, at Hyde Park. I was seeing Dennis Lewin, who who was you know songwriter for Boku and and keyboard player wrote songs. He played piano bar and, and his sister would sing with him, and she's unbelievable talent. And I was there with Sonny Geraci and Eric Carmen was there. So Eric and and Sonny and I are, are sitting there talking. Right? Then Eric gets behind the piano, and then I start singing Eric's songs to him. He's trying to stump me. 
So he's playing and trying to stump me with that. And Eric, you know, is one of my, amongst my favorite songwriters, you know, along with, you know, Carol King and the Beatles and, and, and uh, Jimmy Webb. Right. And uh, <clears throat> so it was, it was special to me because it was Eric Carmen. I remember raspberries and, and Eric Carmen, and he's just trying to challenge to see if I, he it was like a game. Me, you, know? you guys are like playing a game. Yeah. I, I'll play the music. You got to come up with the words yeah. and sing it. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, those those moments like that. There was I was one other moment. Ah, so exchanging so, stuff you got me going. Yeah, man, I love it. Burton Cummins <laughs> came out to see us and uh, up in Canada. We were in Winnipeg, and uh, it was for the Rock and Roll Army tour thing that we were doing. And so I was with Gary Lewis. Mark Lindsay was on the bill, and uh, uh, who else was on that one? Ah, I don't remember. But Burton Cummins came out to see us. So afterwards. And he's a real historian, you know, like of music and stuff. So we're up in this bar with um, at our hotel, <clears throat> and he's talking to me. He goes, "You got to love playing all those Leon Russell keyboard parts for Gary because Leon Russell played keyboards on all that stuff." And I said, "Oh yeah, it's like really, really cool." And I said, "And you know what?" And uh, and him and Mark Lindsay were friends. Or Mark Lindsay from <coughs> Parvier and Raiders and all that stuff. And but. Uh, they were talking, but he and I were talking. I said, you know, one of my favorite songs of yours that, uh, you know, wasn't as big of a hit, but I I know it was Glamour Boy. He goes, you like that song? Uh, so I goes, you know it? I said, yeah, I know it. Oh, you're going to prove it to me. Now, we went we went to a duo piano bar, and we both and got, got behind the piano and played a song. And awesome. <laughs> Mark Lindsay was there, too. Billy Sullivan was there. Billy ended up playing uh, percussion and stuff uh, with us, too. So we did that. And then we did, uh, and 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 then he came over and hugged me. And then we went back to the piano and we played a bunch of old rockers. Then the thing was over, and then we and then they wanted him back up. And so we went back up, went through these eyes. He goes, he went, he went to go to the piano. He goes, hey, you know my song's good. He just went and sat at the piano and sang it while I played it. Then and, awesome. Uh, and that that was that was a high point. But that was before iPhones. So, oh yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so there's no footage of that or anything like that. No. Well, I think we're out of time. Yeah, I knew you wanted to get the Tam Shanner in us. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I, I there's a, I could talk to you for a long time, obviously. I think I could. I think I talked to you pretty much all day about all this stuff. But we are out of time, and I just want to thank you for coming down, man. This thank was, you for having me. This was a blast. Yeah, this was. This was a lot of fun. This was a fun one. <laughs> all right, everybody. Rich Spina here with us. Finally, we got him. <laughs> and uh that'll be it for us we're out of here we'll see you guys next week hey guys thanks for having me thank you <laughs>